0: I like to be at home with my friends. Yes, I love racing, the, the talk was always about racing, the talk was about the next thing, this, that, and the other, but I also had my own group of people, that were my close friends, that I could probably count on one hand, that kept me normal, and I wanted to be normal, you know? Um, where, you know, I see the riders now, not saying anything bad about them, I like a lot of them, a lot of my friends, but they love the image. They love the uh, everything that goes with it, you know. And I didn't. And um, I think that it was not a conscious decision. That was just me. And you either accept it or you don't. And I don't care. I don't mean that bad. But unless my close group of friends or my family or my wife my, my daughter, they didn't like it, you know, or I was doing something... I would only listen to them because that that's all that matters to me, you know?
1: Hello there, welcome to MotoGP's podcast, Last on the Brakes. Never actually called it that before, but that was kind of weird, <laughs> I was never say, mind. We're
2: off topic. We're, all, well, we're off topic off already. Hello,
1: <laughs> my name's Matt Dunn, alongside me is Fran Wilde, and today you're going to be hearing a podcast from someone we actually did not expect to ever get a podcast with after he left last year because it's Cal Crutchlow and he's actually riding, well, he's rode more races this year than he's certainly ever anticipated doing again, even more so than that, didn't he? But uh, <laughs> yeah. we've, we've got Cal finally on the show to talk about his perspectives on various things such as uh, the state of racing right now, uh, how he came through from the World Superbike Paddock, whether he thinks that that transition from Superbikes to MotoGP GP can happen again. And of course, stop rack. Yeah, hashtag stop rack. Uh, and of course it's Cal Crutchlow some of you who might know of us and me I had to ask him about cycling so we did we had a conversation about cycling as well some exclusives in there for you which I I don't don't think he's actually yeah
2: (laughs) exactly it was a
1: good generic conversation it was it's
2: something for everyone I think and especially I think it's good as well obviously Cal known for kind of being outspoken but not in the way that you maybe would expect if someone described someone as outspoken yeah uh, just kind of honest you know yeah. and that's exactly what you can expect again in this episode i think um i really enjoyed it and i think it's nice as well with some of the quotes to get to see if you're watching on youtube um or hearing his voice the kind of lighter tone where he says some stuff yeah because uh, it's like you know
1: if we, if we made an article written down about how how he doesn't care really what people think of him that might come across as a little bit too uh, too brazen and direct. But and, it's the and nice, absolute but it's not.
2: positive way yeah, of exactly. how everyone's told nowadays, don't just scroll through Instagram and think that's how you've got to be. It doesn't matter so much. Exactly. Be yourself. And you guys so, know um, us.
1: We love a bit of sports psychology and this and that. <laughs> and we were just saying before actually starting doing the intro and outro, the interesting things about a lot of what Cal says is actually if you took now a textbook of what are like best practices for a sports star to remain focused and relaxed to be able to compete at their optimal kind of performance well, it sounds like a lot of the stuff he does there is exactly in that textbook and it's innate to him
2: um yeah. which is just
1: pretty extraordinary to be honest
2: it's pretty cool i uh, yeah i definitely enjoyed this chat a lot um hopefully you all will enjoy listening to it as well um and yeah what's the the question of the week this week
1: with Cal Crutchlow, question of the week. Oh,
2: How hard do you find it to filter out other people's opinions? Have we done anything like that before? I don't think we have, no. no we and have, that, no. that is
1: what I was gonna to jump to as well, I think, yeah. That, well, how, Cause... yeah. If someone uh, gives you a comment on Twitter, something, a bit of abuse. Yeah, that's right. We've seen some of your comments. Uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just you know, does it get to you? Does inside. it ruin your day, or do you? Yeah, it's actually Fran with a few burner accounts giving me giving me crap, <laughs> um, or it's a family member, a so-called friend of mine. Um, yeah, does it? Does it? Do you let it ruin your day? Do you not? Personally, I actually have I had to dive in starting commentary twenty eighteen and just not care at all, um, and I've managed to stick by that. I've a couple of people I would I will respond to um, to ask if they if they're just making a deranged like torrent of abuse
2: <laughs> with no like
1: <laughs> with no actual basis to it I will ask him like hi what is it that I actually did that you don't like because I'm genuinely genuinely want to know if someone's just swearing at you like well oh, why do they think that and then more often than not they then reply with oh I didn't think you'd reply oh actually I think you're kind of cool cheers bye and you're like well why do you say it in the first place yeah then? it is a thing isn't it it's quite a hot <laughs>
2: topic at the moment with social media yeah. it's like people are real on the end of their handles yeah exactly. Uh, plenty of people though probably not so much and not really doing their own admin so you know it's easy to forget that as well and be like oh this has really annoyed me in this episode of whatever you're watching yeah um but yeah it's an interesting one i I mean obviously the main comments
1: we get at the moment is take off the masks yeah guys it's (laughs) protocol
2: um but what what about you i think we're getting a special guest are
1: you going to come and join us fabio (laughs)
2: <laughs> you look tempted, no? this is
1: one year on from when we actually had him on the yeah, podcast so how
2: do you start the podcast
1: like this right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> bye hey then
2: good cameo on that we'll stop yakking and we'll uh, head over then to us speaking to Cal.
1: Cal, one thanks for doing this appreciate it good to see you um got to ask i know you would have been asked it a lot over the last few races but did you actually really expect to to come back and race after last year Um, no not
0: really not for as many races as what I have been racing Um, but the uh, the thing was if you look in general over a season between four riders in a manufacturer um, normally one of them gets injured at one point so I sort of expected it but maybe not for this long or uh, the situation that has arose as such Um, so yeah uh, it's good to be back though it's nice to nice to ride I would prefer to just test, um, but any time on, uh, on the Yamaha is, is good. Um, obviously, I had such a limited year of the amount of testing, uh, it was decided that I would uh, come and, and race these races. I actually declined to race the first one, did you? Um, which Garrett did, because I thought Franco would be back straight away, and uh, I'd go testing. But the testing's got cancelled, so then I uh, I came in. So it was a good opportunity. It was nice to be able to get back on the bike, and mm. we're here in Aragon, which uh, is maybe my last one.
2: Maybe, maybe. maybe. I uh, although I don't think we're gonna get much spoiler out of that, because this will probably be published later than yeah, <laughs> being yeah. able to clickbait <laughs> anyone <laughs> with done. that. Well, right, so, rewinding then massively from now, when your little cow, how do you first end up on a motorbike? How do you first start riding or who got you into it what's the first time you remember sitting on one and what piqued your interest uh
0: not not really a a, a massive uh, story you know not like a lot of the Spanish guys here or a lot of the kids that grew up with a golden spoon that that kind of uh, <laughs> of thing um you know with with rich parents or stuff like that that got them into it or or paid their way into it it was a little bit of a different story that I played football for years and that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be a footballer but my dad was racing as a a privateer in in the UK which you know in, in, in Britain which was just club racing so I always just go since I was really young anyway um, we had a little Pee Wee 50 so I already sort of knew how to ride that but I can't remember suddenly sitting on the bike for the first time it and
2: wasn't like the grand origin story yeah. where all, the, all these stories that down. you'll be
0: getting off, off everyone else that sure they can't remember either but they'll give you the best story <laughs> um, obviously I remember having a little Pee Wee um, but I can't remember when it was or anything like that right. but I know I enjoyed to ride um, I enjoyed to uh to play around. Obviously, when I went to the circuit with, uh, with my dad racing, we used to take the peewee there and, and ride around. Um, but then I went and played football. I had no care for motorcycles at all. Of course, I still went with my dad. I still rode around the paddock, mentally, you know, like just mad, just
1: <laughs> hammering
0: around, doing stupid things. And I can remember one time in Le Mans, um, my dad was racing a 24-hour race, actually, and I dropped the scooter on my leg oh honestly it's burnt my leg to pieces I I just remember the blisters on it still got scars now Uh, no I haven't but well I suppose if I looked where it was (laughs) um, I've got many scars since then Um, but yeah and then I didn't care so about 12 years old um, I'd never ridden the gear motorcycle ever just still you know because I was playing football I didn't ride I just rode a scooter so 12 years old, I still never rode a geared, geared motorcycle. And uh, some of my friends was, uh, was racing. So I said to my dad, oh, I wouldn't mind a go at it. Now, one of uh, my dad's close friends, John Hackett, who his son, Rick Hackett, who's uh, been one of my best friends for, you know, for my whole life since I, since I grew up, Rick was racing. So my dad said, spoke to John and said, can you have a go on the bike? And we ended up buying the bike, even though I'd never even ridden a, a motorcycle ever. And there was Quite a race. There was a race the next meeting at uh, next weekend at Darley Moor. Bear in mind, I still hadn't ridden a motorcycle, <laughs> so my dad was busy doing something. So I went with one of his friends to uh, to a field on a motocross bike. Jumped on this motocross bike, set off, learned how to go. Great, I can ride. Ten minutes later, I've back. I've looped out the back of it because oh, it, no. <laughs> it was a it was a two fifty two stroke motocross bike. And I just flipped straight off the back, landed on my head. The guy thought I was knocked out. Uh, rings my dad and anyway the next weekend i went to Darley Moor and 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 rode i also crashed on my first lap around the track my dad got the bike says maybe this is not for you Um, that's so funny since then it just you know carried on where i I enjoyed to ride my my dad obviously paid uh for me to ride which was uh you know not easy as, as as such but he always worked hard and and i was able to sort of follow my dream from that we Went went racing. I managed to be good enough to get some sponsors, and 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 we just did it like that. So it was the the perfect scenario. See, that's
2: a good origin story. Now yeah, it yeah. might not be the mythical Christmas morning, yeah. and then this. No, but no, that's, no,
0: no. That's no, it was it was nice. I'm not saying we had it hard, you know. But I mean, no, it I was guess. it was not, you know, it was not like I went and rode for a team, or yeah, suddenly yeah. I, uh, had a, a, a rich. Uh, Family or something like that. It wasn't like that. It was uh, it was yeah. just perfect, to be honest. You know, just how I would have done it. But I came into racing really late because I started when I was thirteen, yeah. which is late. You know, yeah. you see the kids now; they're racing at this big. Um, so I didn't race bikes. motocross. I didn't do anything like that when I was a kid. Um, hence the reason why I can't ride a motocross bike to save my <laughs> life. But. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so that was it, that's Those, how I are going. That origin story's really funny, because I think when, I mean, it's always worth, that's why we like asking this to everybody, because I think some of the listeners expect the sort of story to be, yeah, I stepped on the bike for the first time, the blip of the throttle, I felt something inside, I won my first race, and it was all like there. But actually, I think, I think it might have been Tucker when we asked him, and his parents said the same thing after his first race he, he, yeah, he went back and they yeah. just went I don't think it's just for you maybe we should go go-karting yeah. or something like that but. Yeah, maybe they weird. can remember it maybe I'm just older and I can't remember it but. maybe maybe
2: maybe that motocross leap off the back just <laughs> yeah, yeah. deleted I can remember that
0: I can remember that but, but you know when the first time I ever rode a motorcycle I have no idea Two or three years old, or something. So,
2: yeah, yeah, no, um, I know what you mean I, I? always wonder about this because I can't remember. I have like three memories from before no, like eight nine. I, think, I, like, I, I think
0: they're filling you full of it for the romance <laughs> story.
1: Yeah, got a bit, got a bit. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll skip ahead a little bit because, uh, like, the British fans listening, we know you did like the R Six Cup, British Super Sport, Superbike, uh, World Super Sport Champion, and things like that. Um, but obviously, the main thing about you is you made that transition from Superbike to MotoGP. One of ask you like well to throw about what was that initial decision taking that decision to do that like was it an absolute no-brainer or was it a because some of the stories coming out at the moment about top rack or whoever from super Bikes, it is a bit of a clearly there is more of a choice at the moment but what was it like for you back then yeah
0: but i think top racks are very different special talent so don't take, yeah. that, take that out of the context already i think he he has the chance to come here and he will come here in the end um he's very talented and very different on a motorcycle to the other guys around him. So I think he'll fit in here and I think he will be
2: so you think he r- should be right
0: here. at the front here. Yeah. I think he's made the wrong decision, but the way that it will work out, he'll be here, I think at some point. So in the end, I, I think he should have come now. That's my uh-huh. opinion, but, um, he'll be here after that. I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely sure of it. So whether he comes a year later, great. Um, yeah. But it's not easy to do. That That story, I think he's um, he's young enough and in the right moment to be able to do that. But if you're talking about when I did it, it was a completely different scenario. I wanted to get to the best championship in the world as, as soon as possible. And that was it. And I took the opportunity because I was doing well in, in World Superbike. Herve, I, you know, and, and Yamaha took a, a big gamble on me. Uh, because as we know, at the end of the first year, it's been well documented. I wanted to go back to Superbike because it was tough really really tough i think it was really tough for me because the 800s yeah. um a completely different way of riding and i was not comfortable uh riding riding the 800s then went to the 1000 the year after and i was immediately fourth at the first test uh, at the test after valencia fourth in the preseason test fourth in the race in qatar yeah. so already i'd made that transition because it was just a bigger bike and i was able to ride it a little bit more like a superbike where the 800 was robotic and really difficult for me to understand coming from a superbike where you have to manage a lot of things Um, so yeah I did it I I think in my career that has been one of the uh, best things that I've had about me I can read a situation very well with regards to what is best to do for me and my career
1: Yeah.
0: because I bounced championships like you wouldn't believe I went uh, British Sport, British yeah. Superbike World Sport, World Superbike MotoGP 5 years yeah. done yeah, and, that's well, and then, and like then I've been well. here yeah. you know and then I've been here but even after that the way that I did my career with the teams that I selected and picked was just right for me you know yes I went to Ducati and I left a year early in my contract but there was always a big deal made out of that yeah. but that was me and Ducati both being clever because they signed uh, Andrea Rionone to a two-year agreement. And in his second-year agreement, he was uh, going to the factory team. Right. They re-signed so in So if I stayed for the second year, the third year, I would have never been in the factory team anyway. Right. So,
1: Dodged a bullet, really. So,
0: so then I, I left because I had a three-year agreement with Honda on the table. Uh-huh. Um, you know and and that was uh, that was the way that it worked out but I did that because it was either I have one more year at Ducati or one year with Honda and another two Uh, it was easy it it was an easy choice so I believe that I did everything very well in that in that um, sense and that's what kept me in in MotoGP for such a long time And and then Obviously, it worked very well with, with Honda, where I was in a satellite team. I was a factory rider in a satellite team, and uh, I stayed there for ages. But the Superbike to MotoGP route is not as hard as what people think. I think that first year was very difficult for me, but a different situation to what it would be now. Yeah, you know, um, I think the tyres, the Michelin tyres, are maybe closer than what the Bridgestones were to... The Pirellis of Superbike, you know, so I don't think that jump would be as bad. Um, so yeah, it's uh it's a hard one. I would like to see World Superbike have a championship of of, of prototype bikes in it. I know it's Superbike, yeah. so we, we know that, but like a feeder to MotoGP you yeah, know right. um, obviously we've got Moto3 and Moto2 but maybe something a little different I don't know how it could work I don't know anything but try to filter some of these guys across because there's some great talent there you yeah. know and we only ever look to these paddock and uh, this year we found ourselves in a situation where there's MotoGP seats available and nobody to go on them from a Moto2 championship now that's strange yeah because we've got everybody
1: Right, they took
0: Remy they took uh uh Raul yeah. you know they took Fabio G, uh, DG and um who else is coming someone else uh
1: well yeah, it's expected going. that like Bez is expected
0: to move yes Yes, yeah, so yeah. so but. you know everyone everyone sort of gone I now mean, there's two seats yeah, yeah. there was two seats out like there you know yeah. um it's
2: quite a strange to change so yeah. you need
0: we need to look uh, everywhere yeah and of course I think the a great championship it's it, it's where I came from I only did a year but um mm. You know maybe i was just clever to do that
1: year and get out i even think uh, at the moment with murder two there's some really capable murder two guys who for whatever reason circumstances missing the year who could be murder gp potential Well, actually there's room for them like to go across to Superbikes. i think they could do great things over there like yeah yeah, lock yeah. The telly but then yeah, like everyone's example.
2: quite nervous of doing that in yeah. case they can't come back because there is missing that kind of link or I yeah know, you know a, but you've
0: got to i think you've got to look that um <laughs> the depth of field here is ten times harder than that. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the reality. There uh-huh. are great riders over there, but I don't believe MotoGP riders get on so well with the Superbike, where the other way around, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. Some MotoGP riders go back to Superbike and feel fantastic, uh, but we see the case of Tito at the, at the minute. This guy is a good rider. He's a good rider. He's won Moto2 World Titles, yeah. and now... You can't even ride around within three seconds of, of the guys in World Superbike. Now, if you put him back in on a MotoGP bike, he's, he's actually quite fast. It's just, his yeah, situation's it's okay. completely different. You can never compare the two. You can never compare the riders. You can't compare the lap times. It's yeah. impossible. It's not yeah. like that. Um, so, I was just grateful that that was my feeder zone into here. And also Ben Spees and Colin and Troy, you know. It's definitely worked for some riders, but the the, the uh, main way to go about it is Moto, Moto three and Moto two. Okay,
2: okay. So, so moving back to when you've you've arrived here, then you said that first year obviously was a bit tougher. From that first tough year, when you say you wanted to go back to Superbike, you're like, oh, not kind of going the way you'd expected it. Obviously, won three Grand Prix. Quite an ascent through yet yeah, lots of different teams, manufacturers, everything else. What did it take? to get yourself from that oh I want to go back to superbike to top of the world three times as well
0: yeah but if you look over a 10-year period three times is not really that much but there's nobody else in there's plenty of people in, in who british. never did it yes <laughs> and, and also british riders that have yeah. came here or british riders that haven't came here that are never going to get the opportunity to do it and i feel very privileged to have been able to be that one because i think that i worked the hardest i think that i put the effort in i took the gamble at the right time um, and I took that um, that chance that was in front of me, instead of being happy in a different championship and just sit there and say, "Okay, well, I'm getting paid a fortune. Great." Well, yeah. okay, you take a, yeah. a year's pay cut, come here, and then you have a great career here. That you know, but it, it, it way surpasses what you would have had in in, in World Superbike. So it took that dedication there, you know, of. Saying okay, maybe for a couple of years or a year, I'm going to struggle. It's going to be hard. Um, I was not easy to live with. That's sure. You know, obviously Lucy, um, we were not married at that time, but I'm sure I wasn't easy to live with. (laughs) But I never gave up on this, on the situation or on the dream to make it to the front. You know, of of MotoGP. And uh, I think that I had a good balance of being at home i being here, and that was where, like when I retired. That I don't miss it. I don't miss it like uh, I don't miss the stress. The talking to you, you know. That's it. you know. I don't miss yeah, yeah. the. No, I don't miss sitting on the grid. Yeah. I miss riding a motorcycle because that's what yeah. I love. Um, and I miss competing. Actually, you know, I, I like to get that fire in my belly a little bit, um, but I don't miss traveling this kind of stuff so that's why I always had such a different uh, way of looking at it than a lot of the other riders and that was why I believe over my career some people saw me as arrogant some people saw it as me being me uh, and some people liked it the, yeah. the way that I was It's because I always told the truth and if I felt it then I told it and I don't care if you like it or not it doesn't, mm-hmm. does not make a bit of difference to me in my home life whether yeah. anybody likes it or not because yeah. when I go home I do my own thing and I'm happy with with Lewis and my, and my family so everything here is like a to me a show yeah I love racing motorcycles but I always had that great balance I believe so uh, I think that's what kept me racing for, for not so long but you know uh, a 10 year career in MotoGP and it kept me um Kept my sponsors happy because I was always getting the promotion, (laughs) whether it was good or bad. Uh I was okay at my job. I don't think I was the best talent out there. Definitely not. Um but I would dig in. That was my thing, is I would absolutely dig in. To the point where I probably should have finished 50% more of the races than what I did. You know, the races that I crashed out of, 50% of them I shouldn't have crashed out of them. I should have finished the race. But that was me. I was given hundred percent and I would go over the hundred percent, my hundred percent. And that was it. You know, i would go over my level of talent and crash, but I wouldn't change it. I changed some of the aches and pains that I have now, but I mean, um, you can still cycle. So it's fine at the minute. Yeah. At the minute, I can tell you now the aches yeah. and pains are coming on the bicycle as well. Um, but yeah, it was just a lot of, uh, hard work, you know, I think that, uh, I was never a guy to take it too seriously, because as I said, I saw it as a show, you know, and yes, there's always a lot of people doing stuff for me, working hard for me, the mechanics I've worked with and and people I've worked with in this paddock, you know, I'm very, very lucky that I believe that I don't know anybody I've worked with that has a bad word to say about me in, in my team. Uh, media might be different but you know i think that i'm <laughs> not sure I, that
2: counts as working I, no. with to be
0: fair. <laughs> um, which is great because i always tried to make it a, a home away from home fun enjoyable yeah. because they're away from their families for me and that's yeah. the reality yes it's their job but i mean some of these guys don't want to be away for three weeks four weeks at a time a week here a week there you know they've got kids in school it's difficult it's not an easy job yeah. Um, and I never found it easy, so I can imagine them, you know. And that, at that point, I didn't have a family or, so I believe that I just had that perfect balance to uh, to, to race here, you know. Um,
2: it's, it's really interesting you say that, because obviously the other really high profile case of thinking all of that side of it is just not real and hating it so much to the point of retiring at the age of 27, Casey, He obviously that home life was so important to him. Went to that and everything, but it seems like the opposite kind of approach to the same belief that the real thing is at home, but you kind of use that as something to keep you here longer and fuel you here in the other side of it.
0: Yeah, but it was. I think it's obviously
2: everyone's different. It's just interesting to get. I think I think Casey
0: got it right, honestly speaking, because. I could have stopped earlier. I didn't stop because I still enjoyed it. But when you stop enjoying it, I think it's the, the, the right time to stop. So I do think Casey did it right. And um, I think that, of course, he's been a big part of his life since he was so young. Um, if he didn't want to do it anymore, then stop. But as I said, this place is a circus, you know, and you're the performing monkey. <laughs> and... and that's the truth and I don't care what anybody says that that's the way that sometimes that's the way I feel of course a lot of the other riders feel it's completely normal and that's them and they enjoy it and um you know uh, and that's it so I, I believe that um he made the right decision for him I think that I stayed obviously longer um completely different careers he'd achieved way more than what I achieved in my career so I wanted to try and achieve a little bit more um and
1: that's why i stayed until until now, i was literally. 35 years old <laughs> something i want to pick up from there is that the work-life balance did you was that a conscious decision you made at some point on your very rapid ascension through the championships or has it just come naturally to you
0: the,
1: the work-life balance the oh ah, yeah no
0: I, <clears throat> because i could see through it a lot of people can't right. see through this um they can't see through this, they can't <laughs> right. see through anything else. I yeah, yeah. I like to be at home with my friends. Yes, I love racing. The, the talk was always about racing, the talk was about the next thing, this, that, and the other. But I also had my own group of people that were my close friends that I could probably count on one hand that kept me normal. Yeah. And I wanted to be normal, you know. Um, where, you know, I see the riders now, not saying anything bad about them, I like a lot of them, a lot of my friends, but they love the image, they love the, uh, everything that goes with it, you know, and I didn't, right. and um, I think that it was not a conscious decision, that was just me, and you either accept it or you don't, and I don't care, I don't mean that bad, yeah, yeah. but Hello, unless fine. my close group of friends, or my family, or my wife, or my, my daughter... They didn't like it, but, you know, or I was doing something. I would only listen to them because that—that's all that matters to me, you know. Yeah. that sounds um, like
2: very good advice for a lot of other people in so many walks yeah. of life, though. Not even just the, yeah, but you, you know, I think that you know have got your back. Yeah,
0: you know, I think that no matter what somebody's going to say about you, as a rider, as a person, um, whether they're, they're fans uh, or, or whatever. Of course, I always, um, I always uh, tra- uh, treated the fans with as much respect as I could, and I did. And I, you know, but at the end of the day, they might support someone else. They might say something bad about you, and that. I couldn't care less yeah. because they don't know me. They don't come. They don't come and eat, my, eat dinner at my house and have the <laughs> conversations with my family, and so they, they don't know me at all. Same as what I don't know them. So you know. That sort of stuff to me, I didn't care. Um, I had one point in my career where I did, and it was probably right at the start of my MotoGP career, the first year when I was doing really bad, Um, because obviously everybody didn't didn't expect me to do anything, and I didn't do anything. And then I was copying it a little bit, and I was like, uh, you know, but then after that, I I didn't care, you know, it was not. I, I worked out that it makes not a shit difference to my life, what somebody else says unless um, people Mm. around me so um, I think that I balanced it right and I think that was why I had either such a close relationship with the fans that I was the guy that was closest to them or I was the complete opposite where they thought I was arrogant for it you you know because they the fans either want that they either want you to be the guy that is a normal guy at home and goes to Tesco's and says what he feels or they want you to be the superstar that they all look up to that hosts amazing things and you know so i think
1: think you managed to get a balance of both though because like you're you're the man at home the human being before the motorcycle racer but then also you do cool things like going up to the camera in argentina going don't doubt me to the camera and stuff like that is kind of superstar kind of stuff it's not the image but then it's genuinely you it's authentic And i think you managed to achieve both
0: yeah that image was for you though for for, for for this for this uh <laughs> <You> circus <laughs> that we're in you know yeah, right because so, I'd rather race with no cameras there yeah yeah yeah, you know, and that's the yeah, reality okay. i I loved that um when I was young, you used to do it in the back of a van and, and yeah. friends and yeah. and this that and the other and that's what I love and I wished I raced in the era of uh you know the 80s the like, early,
1: early 90s the stuff like that where
0: <laughs> they're racing with the vans and that that was my my era
1: you can still divide a Ducati here if you wanted, like Zarko did something a bit different yeah <laughs> a bit different a bit different <laughs> <laughs> no, okay right. fair enough I'll well, tell you what before we let you go though uh, I do have to ask you a little bit about cycling this is more a bit about me I'm a big cycling fan and things like that and there's always been a couple of things I've wanted to ask you um, first and foremost when did it start and then secondly do you care about when you're training with cycling do you care about numbers are you a, are you obsessed with the data or do you just go out and have fun and race your mates a little bit uh,
0: a little bit of both but when it started was I always run my bike I used to run when I played football uh, I was I was centre forward so I sprinted to get the ball hmm. kick the ball that was me done I was happy you know when I was in school I used to do the 100 meter sprint because I'm built like a sprinter you know um, but then I need to start to do some endurance for, race, uh, for races so I started to run and then I had bike problems on my knees I already had a couple of operations from football on my knees so then cycling came into it probably in 2002 3 4 oh a long time then um, and I've been doing it ever since Wow. But my main was when I went uh, and first started to live in the Isle of Man. I was riding a little bit before that, two thousand and six, seven, and eight, quite a lot more. Yeah. And then when I went to the Isle of Man, um, it was two thousand and nine, uh, and I started to ride actually with uh, a guy that you will have met here, Andy Roach, who used to be yeah. my uh, my assistant here. Um, we lived a couple of doors away from me, um, and he was a professional at the time. So then I, uh, you know, riding around the Isle of Man. Then there's a lot of groups, a lot of pros, um, and I've been riding ever since, so to the that's extent awesome. where, you know, i probably get twenty to 25,000 kilometers a year. Um, and, you know, at a high level, people say that I ride too hard all the time, but that's just me. I, I'm either in or I'm not in, yeah, yeah. You, you know. Um, but yeah, I ride a lot, I, I do ride a lot. Um,
2: you must really, truly enjoy it.
0: Yeah, as well as yeah, because you know, there. I I'm, I don't see it as a chore, which is you know I'll go out in the rain. If it's hammering down with rain and a complete twister, I'll go out, and people will <laughs> be like, why, "Why?" But I I, I enjoy to. I, I think it's two things. I think it's about me releasing my endorphins. Um, I was always stupid sometimes, you know, as in, and I, I'm when I was racing, I was always overtrained. But that was just me, I was doing 20 hours a week in between the two races, and um, and I knew I was, but I loved what I was doing, and uh, I felt satisfaction out of hurting myself on the bike. And uh, I've always been that way. And I would never leave the house on a bicycle unless I was doing three hours minimum. So, oh, I, you know, it, it's, it's just the way that I work. Now, another way that I've been, and I know I've been, yes, obsessed with numbers, not obsessed with numbers, but... I use my power meter. I always ride to power. Right. Um, not always, you know. Um, but what I have done for my career is... I, I know I've always been borderline OCD with numbers. Yeah. Because I would never enter the house until I'd done the certain number that I needed to do. Really? As in, if I said I was doing three hours... I would never enter the house at two hours, 50 minutes, or I would never enter the house at 2.59. But if I did 3.01, yeah. it's fine. it was fine. If I did over 3.30, it meant I had to go to four hours. Wow, okay. So I was a bit, <laughs>
1: yeah, but okay. if you actually
0: think about it in a, in a rider's head, my whole life has been about numbers, yeah. lap time, the amount of laps you do. Uh, the sector numbers, yeah. the, so I, I must have picked it up from that over the years. Uh-huh. But if I said I was going out to do that, I yeah. had to do it, and that was it.
1: You know. Um, and that mean that has terrible consequences for someone like Daco as well if he's not ready for that sort of mileage uh, yeah, like that day. Home, man, yeah. you know. But, I mean, <laughs> I'll ride
0: around in circles. Yeah. But I mean, I'm usually quite good at planning a route of right. how fast I'll be going over the route and how much ascent or something like that to see what I get you know as in the time wise I was
2: going to say have you ever like arrived home and been at like 2.59 and then just like
0: every day of my life sometimes (laughs) just outside the house uh, easy up and down the street a little bit or yeah (laughs) yeah, and I will not go in honestly Um, but it's just it's just the way that I worked and I actually thought when I stopped racing I would be the same I have gone in at like 2.48 Oh. or 3.48, or something like that, yeah. you know, since I've stopped racing. But I find it hard to take for the rest of the day. <laughs> I to It's just that? like, I don't know, it must just be me, you know. And, and I think that it's came over the years of training, being committed. Yeah. And another thing is, I have to do the hours that I've planned that week. Really? So if it's 18 hours, I have to do 18 hours. And I won't. Yeah. I'll go on the turbo at night to do an hour to, if I have to make it up or something like wow. that wow you know yeah. I don't mind going over but I have to do the minimum that's that I've funny.
1: said you make your own training plan yeah cool
0: wow but I don't do anything else I haven't been to a gym in yeah. at least 12 years see so here's the difference i it not to a gym either I am going to push up arms. pull up nothing <laughs> wow so not a thing but your arms are so huge I know but it's just my body type so
2: just naturally
1: hand. I just like to run and <laughs> that's it yeah, that's good it's really interesting so many things you've said I think like actually and I'm now... just
0: different to everyone else now <laughs> well, you, know... you, you say
1: that but I, like, I listen to a few like sports psycho- uh, psychology podcasts and things like that and like and I've read some studies lately on things that they tell people to do like have a life outside of the sport because it'll make you go faster and things like, this. <coughs> like do it for you have the human side And but that it's interesting those things all have come quite natural to you yet this is what the advice is being given to other elite sports that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, really interesting yeah. I think that
0: you've you got to look from a uh perspective, when, when I was looking in this paddock, and even when I was three, four years in, I used to think they were all absolutely mental, none of them had girlfriends, none of them, well they did, they had many girlfriends, but like never <laughs> held anything down, none of them married, none of them kids, yeah. you know, it was a strange situation that they believe, honestly a lot of the riders believe, that that, the way they're doing it is the only way to go fast, when I look at it and think you're doing it completely wrong, you need to relax...
2: Yeah. Have some difference
0: yeah. in your life, you know. We we're just talking about that, and, right? And, you and off, I right? think that, uh, you know, some of the stories I could tell you about this paddock, it would be.
1: Well, I'll uh, say so for your autobiography fantastic. in uh, no, no, right. five ten years No, no, I'm, I'm just reading John's actually, yeah. and mm.
0: uh, he's telling us some home truths right there. Yeah. And uh, I think that, yeah, depends. If you write it from a different perspective, I look. I love John. I think the book's fantastic and uh, it's great to, to read something that is actually, you know, at that time, obviously the truth, you know, obviously now is a little bit different to how, how things may work, but I mean, um, yeah, he's telling a few home truths there, which is good.
1: How many years would it have to take for someone of your era to tell those sorts of home truths? I don't know, but I'm not writing a book. No? Two, would two you reason? not
2: just speak a book and let someone else Audio write book? It down?
0: No. <laughs> i will listen to no. it. Two, th- two, two reasons. I'm not vain enough to write a book um and if i did write a book i'd end up in a lot of lawsuits i
1: think and, fair, and fair that, reasons, yeah, yeah. Fair
2: reasons. <laughs> um, right shall we quick fire? yeah
1: very very quickly i think because we've got to let you go but well, i mean, really that's... appreciate your time yeah you're very so,
2: welcome. the first one we normally ask in case you need a minute to think about it kind of defeating the point of quick fire. Yes. which three people dead or alive would you invite to a dinner party Hmm.
0: I'd invite my wife and my daughter. Oh, yeah, I So alive. you need one more now? Um. Uh, so essentially,
2: who would you invite round to your house? Okay, everyone's, everyone. <laughs> everyone's
0: going to think that you're going to be invited. Superstar, blah blah blah. I'd invite one of my best friends that, uh, that passed
1: away racing years ago, Craig Jones. Oh, ah, brilliant! Yeah, that's a nice. That's a nice answer. Um, Mac Polanski, a fan, wants to know which track not currently on the calendar would you like to go to? Pardon? Which track not currently on the calendar would you like to race at still?
0: On a MotoGP bike? Yep. Uh, uh, Bruno. Hmm? It's not on the calendar anymore. <laughs> and I think okay. it's a great circuit.
2: Yeah. That wasn't on the calendar in the last three years. Okay, i Park because oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> none that. of these like, I'd have
1: a clue no, no. what was going yeah. on <laughs> Shell Oil's hairpin
2: yeah. uh, well, so Hey Mike Falcone it's his question was who helped you get to where you are that we don't know about Ooh.
0: is
2: there anyone sort of
0: uh, yeah many m- many people um, whether it be uh, sponsors I had since I was young problem is, with a question like that, is if you answer it, you always answer it wrong because you're not saying about another person. Yeah. So I, I, And I would never do that. But I would say sponsors when I was young, obviously uh, my dad and, uh, and, and my wife Lucy. But uh, I think as much as I managed myself the last years of my career from 2015 to now... Would be Bobby Moore because before that was Bob Moore, who's the manager of Brad Binder, people like. Because I think we made the right decisions together. Um, and he, I was with him from World Super sport. Was by you know, when I bounced them championships, we just went for it. And uh, I think he, you know, um,
1: he, we made the right choices together. Cool. Um, Cheeky McFly wants to know which day in your life would you like to relive? Not to change anything, just to experience it again.
0: Well, we talk about motorcycles because obviously if we talk about my my home stuff, uh, I could say every day with my, with my daughter or, or with Luce. So, I mean, racing-wise, uh, I'd like to relive the Australian one again. Australian Grand Prix. On. Yeah. Cool. Great.
2: So, finally, Team Japan GP's question was, what is your personal or professional motto or what would it be if we had to force them to choose one? what do you kind of fall it's not really quick for are they um, <laughs> I know, I think but the answers
1: really, are yeah. short but the thinking about it isn't sometimes motto see I think after everything we've heard you're the complete antithesis of actually having a motto I don't think you'd have one
0: <laughs> no because I don't care yeah I, I
1: don't mean that I mean I think <laughs> I that's a great that bad. Motto in that, a positive uh, way yeah, yeah
0: yeah I think it'd be something really bad you know <laughs> um, can't really give you one and that's disappointing i don't worry uh okay if i said a word i would say determined nice that's cool
1: awesome you weren't gonna have that tattooed around you or anything like that though no no No. (laughs) that (laughs) was (laughs) me cal thank you so much really appreciate it yes thank
2: you you. thanks for listening then guys or watching if you are um hope you enjoyed it i think it's chat with Pal. i certainly enjoyed
1: we do we do say this after every episode yeah
2: uh, but oh, i hope I you also so do much <laughs> yeah but i
1: hope you guys also do feel that you enjoy every episode as well i suppose you do if you keep coming back anyway. also
2: we do genuinely mean it it's not circus chat we yeah. did enjoy it a lot so yeah. Uh, yeah good stuff let us know what your thoughts are on the question of the week obviously we gave you in the intro uh, do you think you know other people's opinions do they affect you should they affect you being true to yourself that kind of vibe um yeah i think it's just really interesting and as always sorry it's the hashtag motor gp podcast
1: yeah use that on twitter i do see some people sending their questions in i'll be honest it's been a little bit hectic lately with all our schedules so we've not sorry. had time to really sift through them we can't promise we'll do it before the next episode of recording which is actually a week from this one in san marino Um, but we will get to them at some point before uh, the final ones so yeah let us know
2: comments, questions, anything maybe we'll uh, switch up some of the quick fires if you've got any good suggestions for those as well Um, but yeah great stuff see you next time hope you enjoyed bye bye